Hello, everyone, and welcome back to SCADcast and On Creativity. Thank you for joining us. I'm Matt Nickley. In the fall of 2022, cameras rolled across Savannah and Tybee Island. Now, that's not breaking news. There are always films and series shooting around town. But what made this one special for us at SCAD was the number of students, faculty, and alumni who worked on the film, both in front of and behind the camera. There were 88 in total. The acclaimed film is May-December. Its stars are Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore, and its director is today's special guest, Todd Haynes. This is why it was a particular thrill for us to honor Haynes with the Outstanding Achievement in Directing Award and to bring the film home with a gala screening at the SCAD Savannah Film Festival. From Poison to Safe to Far From Heaven to I'm Not There to Carol, Haynes is a legend of independent cinema and films that challenge convention. Every day spent on set with Haynes was a masterclass for those SCAD students and alumni, and Paula Wallace wanted to make sure all of our amazing listeners received the same benefit of Haynes's example. From SCADcast, this is On Creativity, a conversation between Paula Wallace and Todd Haynes. Todd, welcome back to SCAD for the SCAD Savannah Film Festival, and thank you for showing and sharing your tour de force magnificent film with us. You had a standing ovation. Everybody loved it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Paula. It's such a pleasure to be back. I cannot, I cannot tell you how much it's meant to be back in Savannah with this movie. Well, I know you were here a couple of years ago to screen Velvet Underground, and I'm wondering, has Georgia been on your mind? Well, I hadn't. Has Georgia been on my mind? I got that. Um, I didn't. I mean, I love coming to Savannah and I've loved it since I first visited Savannah on a little southern drive trip I took alone when I lived in New York. But um, it was when it was when we realized that this little window of opportunity opened up for May, December last year in the fall that and the film had to, was set in May. It, it's all framed around the fact that the kids are graduating from from mm -hmm. high school, yes. and but but the script was originally set in Camden, Maine, and there was no way to shoot fall anywhere in the East Coast or can or in Maine authentically authentically <laughs> in the little window that opened up in October and November of last year, right, with the actors and myself. So, so I was like, wow, what about? Savannah. And I started to look at the map with my production designer, Sam Lysenko. And we thought, um, well, we don't really see Gracie living in downtown historic Savannah. It seems too exposed, too claustrophobic, too, she'd need to have some space and some distance, you know. And we looked at, we were like, oh, there's this little beach community, Tybee Island, that's about 20 minutes outside of downtown Savannah. And so we just, in just on paper, just on the map, we thought that was an interesting idea. Mm -hmm. And then we came last August for a scout. And it was just me and Sam and Mason Plotz, who's from Killer Films. And we just started to like look around. And the whole the whole city unfolded layer after layer. Tybee Island became an absolutely fascinating location for mm -hmm. Gracie to live in. 
uh, lo- a lot of local restaurants and venues that we visited on that trip made its way into the mm-hmm. script, as you see in the film. Mm-hmm. And so it became a character in the movie. True. You know, and I love that about the process of filmmaking, that mm-hmm. that can happen, <laughs> that you can actually not know where you're going to land. And that's going to start to tell you other things about mm-hmm. this story, you know. Mm-hmm. So it was a great, the whole thing was such a great Mm-hmm. experience <clears throat> is characteristic of filmmaking that there's a lot of careful planning but there's also serendipity entirely and and isn't that really that defines what the creative process is mm-hmm. you know things you control and things you can't control and you have to be open to and somehow flexible for the things that you can't control because you'll miss something really special mm-hmm. if you're not like ready and and that that's not that's easier said than done sometimes on a tight mm-hmm. budget and schedule and when you have to like get a certain amount of stuff done in a very concentrated amount of time but mm-hmm. but i think that really is the um the mystery of the creative process when it comes to filmmaking but you have to be attuned to it and yeah you you gave a good example to the students of the lighting and the, the yeah. sun yeah and hitting just at the right place yes on one of our fullest most demanding days mm-hmm. at uh, Tybee Island High School and even that location was the very last location that we got approval for we were f- fully into the shoot but it was just aesthetically it was the best place for the for that stuff that I wanted mm-hmm. to shoot there and it also was the real high school that would have been the island's high yes. school for the exact area where they lived in. So it had reality to it and relevance to the story in that way. And so all those things came together and then we got the approval right in time and we got to use the actual principal of Island's High School as the principal giving the final speech to the graduating class. It was perfect. We screened May, December last night with a packed house and a standing ovation. How's it been to experience the film with audiences, especially this one? (laughs) Well, this one is its own very personal and very meaningful story because so many local people were part of this production, right? And so that, so I'll, I'll, I'll get to that part of the question after answering the first part of your question, which has just been that, um, you know, you never know how a movie's gonna end up come out. This one had a very uh, nuanced tone to it, or, or various kinds of tonality in the style of it. <clears throat> that um, you just don't know how an audience is gonna respond to, particularly in today's culture where we have very strong moral ideas coming in around issues and themes, and we want our feelings and our ideas about this kind of character or that kind of behavior to be confirmed. And this script left you feeling unsure about how you felt at the beginning. And you're always going, hmm, what's going on? I I thought I trusted this character that Natalie Portman plays, but I don't think I do anymore, you know? And you're, so you're, you're antagonist, you're interrogating yourself as you watch the movie. And I love that about the script, right? But you just don't know how that will be received and what's been so great so far, at least, is the way it's been received in the premieres, mostly festival-based, starting with premiering the movie at Cannes in May of this year, uh, is the 
people have been really welcoming of that, of that, you know, that uncertainty, that, that, that interpretive mode that they're sort of put into as, as an audience. Now, coming to Savannah, though, uh, was like coming home because it was just a truly delightful um, production experience for myself, for the actors, for the crew, and the relationship between local folks, you know, professional crews in Savannah and in Atlanta, and then the SCAD community. All of that became a part of, and local actors, big players and extras. That just made for a, I don't know, a rare um, concoction that was really unique. And we all, when we had our wrap party, yes, we shot the movie in 23 days in Savannah, which is just a crazy short schedule. And we was like, it's over. I don't want it to be over. Mm-hmm. And I and you never feel that way at the end of a shoot. <laughs> Shooting a movie is hard, and you're usually ready for the beach after that after mm-hmm. after a hard mm-hmm. shoot. But everybody was just we really had a very special time. So coming back has been very meaningful to me. So that's your regimen after a shoot. You're going to go to the beach, or I try. If okay. I can, the I try to. The beach calls you, not the mountains. Or... The beach calls me. Swimming in the ocean. I like to. I I have a special routine. I go to Kauai. I live in I live in Portland, Oregon. I'm from mm-hmm. Los Angeles, so mm-hmm. I go to I go to Kauai, and that's where I unwind and and uh, take some time. Um, and it's a good breather between the intensity of production and then the. Um, the kind of hyper focus and the singularity of the process of editing a movie. No, you did all this in record time. The editing and then getting it out and um, to the festival circuit. I mean, all of it. We we tried. We you know you never know. We were like all the all the financiers and the our our, our um, equity investors were like you know we would love you to try to get into can, and we were like we'll try. We'll do our best. We'll see. And but if but I felt if I felt like the film wasn't ready, uh, we would have all made a decision and gone to a later festival. And there are, are of course, yes, other of film course. festivals. Mm-hmm. But we did it. Yeah. Applause. Definitely applause. When you made the decision to shoot in Savannah, our SCAD faculty created an actual May-December class to coincide with your production schedule. Students enrolled in the class worked in various departments on your set, from locations to lighting and much more. Nearly 100 SCAD artists and performers contributed in some way to this film. What do you hope they learn from being on a Todd Haynes film? I hope they felt a portion of the creative sort of pleasures that we all felt, which isn't typical for movies as we've been talking about. And although I try to, I try my best to make for an environment on my sets that, that make people feel comfortable and um, as secure and as, um, as, re- as respected in what they do, do because it's all matters the smallest detail in a movie matters you know and it matters to me but things happen and and it can be really stressful and it can be tough and uh and 
but I know I know that most of my sets have been pleasurable for people. They're, I think they've been harder. Or they've been they haven't been as easy for me personally because sure. I shoulder a lot of the stress, mm-hmm. and that. Um, but but I think I said this last night, and I really meant this. I, I, maybe at the in the um, just Q and A after the film, that when I'm in regional towns, and most of my films are not shot in Los Angeles, or I mean, I've shot a couple films in New York, which have been great experiences. Wherever you are, you want to use the local talent. Mm -hmm. You want to, I mean, it's financially advisable to use locals, crews, of course. But you also really want that flavor of the actors Mm -hmm. and the, you know, uh, regional actors in the the roles and extras from that part of the country, wherever you are. And so that's always been really thrilling to me. And you feel like you're making discoveries Mm -hmm. in the process. So the students, some of them were, had 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 acting roles and, and lines in the film. Um, most of them were in the crew, you know. Some of them were extras in in, in scenes, and um, but having them in all corners of the experience just made us feel like we really were using the place that we're in, and giving them the feeling that they were really special and that they brought something unique for the fact that we were doing a movie in Savannah about Savannah. Yes, absolutely. Well, they'll never forget it. As a director, you have decades of leadership experience. What's your personal approach to bringing out the best in cast and crew? I think it's I think it's some of what I was just saying that you, that it's really about recognizing that sometimes the thing that you know directors are are given a lot of millions of choices of things they have to say yes or no or this or that or that color or that shape or that Mm -hmm. couch or that chair right and under the stress of being a director and and the sort of hierarchy of decision making that has to occur under under specific time constraints i I know there are times where you're just like ah i can't i don't know whatever you know i i get that Mm -hmm. but i also know that sometimes that chair and the choice of that chair exactly. in that scene has a meaning and a presence mm-hmm. that actually signifies more than we would think. Mm-hmm. And so the set dresser, who's bringing you all the choices of the chairs, mm-hmm. and try and maybe try, maybe doing giving you too many choices, and your head's going to explode because you have to go do this, and then you got to do that. They've been putting all the work into that, you know, that they they have been putting a lot of thought and time into that. Mm-hmm. And it does matter, it does. you know, so and, and I and I, I do like all those details. And you know, look, a lot of my movies, most of my movies have been period films. So that automatically makes the choices that Something. you're making about decor and hair and mm-hmm. costume and color and tone and all those things really um, essential. You can't just not make a decision because you're making it in the 1930s or you're making mm-hmm. the 1950s or mm-hmm. whatever it is. And that um, that's a rich, uh, delicious process for me. Or you get famous for the anachronisms. Right, exa- <laughs> exactly. And, and then you're like, that's all you noticed? Our little, our one mistake? One thing. <laughs> they didn't have that in that year. Exactly. Do you find that you've grown more confident in your decisions over the years and with all your experience? I mean, I feel that way. I, I don't know if you feel that way. 
it's such a film by film um, process. You know, there's a there's a kind of confidence that the first time filmmaker, um, or a kind of conviction and a sort of like passion yeah. that that. I can look back on and go, okay, maybe you're a little rigid about your choice. You only want it to be this one way and it has to be that one way. Mm. And, but also that's the energy that it takes to get a first film made. Mm. And everybody looks to that passion and that conviction as an indication mm -hmm. that this person really believes in what they're doing, yes. right? It's yes. all phantom. It's all illusory until... It's not anymore until, until it's, it's in real. the can, <laughs> until it's done, right? Until, as we've mm -hmm. talked about earlier, until the audience sees it. Mm -hmm. So, so I, 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 so I'm, so I think that there's a sense of conviction and a sense of, um, you know, it has to be this way that I that that should be respected, and I and I and I think that's part of that younger phase of people's careers. And I, I was, I was very bold, and you know, the difference was is that I didn't set out to be a feature filmmaker, a commercial feature filmmaker with a professional career. I, I was interested in films that were a little more on the experimental sort of edge. And I thought, that's great. That's wonderful. That's, that's, that's an essential part of the medium of cinema. Um, so, so I didn't take on uh, some of the pressures that I think mm -hmm. some students might think about where like, how do you get in and break in and get this and get there? And I really was just thinking about the work itself and it was liberating to think of it almost more as an art project than as a commercial product. Mm -hmm. And I think that helped and, 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 and then things happened that were a little out of my control, like with Superstar, my film with the Barbie dolls about Karen Carpenter, was something that critics took seriously and wrote about in the Village Voice in 1987. And all of a sudden, everybody in the country wanted to show that film. And that was true for that time when somebody who wrote an article in the Village Voice and made it the lead review of the Village Voice, but it was some first-time experimental film, an 47-minute-long movie, not even a feature, would occupy that kind of place and it would gain credibility. So doors open for me that way. And that's hard to, that's a specific time and place, right? Yes. And then my first feature film, Poison, fell into a, a, a time and place that was altered by the AIDS epidemic and crisis. Mm -hmm. And a lot of films were coming out that were dealing with those themes and issues and challenges. Mm -hmm. And so it fell into another sort of marketing culture that was very attentive to those kinds of themes. And, but a lot of those films were still not traditional narrative films by new voices in film. And it won the grand prize at the Sundance Film Festival. And like things happened that were unexpected that helped one step, you know, mm -hmm. being followed by the next mm -hmm. in a direction that I didn't know where it was gonna go. What leadership qualities do you admire in others, I wonder? Oh, just the question itself makes me think of Christine Bechon, my my uh, producing partner from the very beginning, from Poison, my first feature. It was her first feature that she produced. Um, and Christine is 
an incredible force in independent filmmaking. And she has now produced so many films with, under the banner Killer Films with, and most over so many of these years with her producing partner, Pam Coughlin. Mm -hmm. And Christine is a tough, clear, honest, brilliant, um, tireless, indefatigable person. And she scares people. But what you see when you work with Christine is that she's all about collaboration. She's fun about finding the perfect partners and yielding to them in the most nuanced ways that are that are pursuant that are that that are that are uh, relevant to each specific film and its needs. You know, like when we my last film that I brought to SCAD was The Velvet Underground, my first documentary film about the band <clears throat> and and Christine and I were like, I knew there was no footage, traditional footage of the Velvet Underground in existence. So I was going to have to rely on, and I wanted to, it was all the whole concept was based on using avant-garde cinema from the 60s. That was the culture within which the Velvet Underground emerged, right? But it was meant licensing massive amounts of um, avant-garde cinema and a lot of Warhol films, which are costly. Yes. So it was like, how are we going to do this? You know, and she immediately was like, Motto Pictures is this uh, documentary production company based in New York. And they have a really interesting roster of films under their belt. And this woman, Julie Goldman, and her partner, Chris and Caroline, the three of them, just do really interesting work. We met with them. And it was like, it was kismet. It was like... Mm -hmm. It was like people you feel like you should have known your whole life. And here they were doing documentaries and we were doing features and narrative features. And Christine was just like yielded to everything that Julie and Carolyn and Chris knew about how to structure the financing of a, of a documentary and how to do one. And they'd never done a documentary documentary that relied this much on archival footage and, and existing avant-garde cinema, right? So it was different for them, but it was completely different for us. But how to finance that, how to pay for editors over such a long period of time, how to structure the financing of a film like that was something we'd never done. And it's just the latest example I can think of is how, and there are myriad examples of this with Christine, that she just brings people in and steps back and says, I trust you, you're you're amazing right and people don't know people don't know if you see her on a panel you know <laughs> you just think she just does it all and she just blows everybody else out of no way no well it sounds like discernment and then encouragement yeah and respect, respect. and knowing that partnerships don't take anything away from you no they they deepen and and, and you know and and further your own knowledge, your own abilities to get things done, your own name and reputation and the success of the product that we all are trying to make together. Amplify your army. Exactly. Your peaceful army. Exactly. D.W. Moffat, SCAD's chair of film and television, who plays a key role in the film, noted of your direction, Todd is incredibly attentive and able to communicate very finely tuned directing notes effortlessly and expeditiously. Plus, he maintains a really chill vibe on the set, <laughs> and that is not to be underestimated. Well, it was such a privilege to work. It was so great to work with 
DW. He was so, Julianne Moore had worked with him on a movie shot in Savannah, yes. the Gloria, Gloria's. Yes, the Gloria's. Um, and she just said, he's so, he's so good. He's so lovely to work with. And, and he ended up being so well suited for this character that we had. So, and then I didn't realize his relationship to Scab until I came here and we were in pre-production and he, and he began conversations with Jonathan Montepar, my incredible line producer on this movie and opened up this whole way of working with Scab students that was, mm -hmm. it seemed like a new uh, example of how to, how to make it a reality. So in every conceivable way, it was just such an incredibly, um, yeah, fortuitous relationship and he does such a fantastic job in the movie he shot his scene on the first day of the shoot um, at gallery espresso right mm -hmm. off chippewa square and um yeah he just was just yeah i mean he he says i made him feel comfortable he made me me feel comfortable and and uh and that i was in the hands of just such a fine actor you know who really understood who this guy was yes, so yeah. it was a great first day he leads the students in such a professional manner and with such um such an example i mean the cheers he got in the house <laughs> yes. yesterday you know it was so touching Absolutely. to hear that rallying around him you know what that's about that's about an incredibly effective committed teacher there's something about education that is just not like any other profession no i know um, i, I know. get that um reward yeah. of seeing students and being you know vicariously enjoying their success and seeing like the contributions that we make even in a small part to their lives after they leave SCAD. completely it's amazing yeah it is it's amazing <laughs> many of your films are about social taboos in the world um why are you drawn to these themes well this is where we're tested um mm. but they're also taboos or i mean uh, there's different categories that we might that might be brought up to describe content in my movies or subjects of my movies and some of them are taboos and some of them are just you know almost taboos of the commercial industry in that they're films about women mm -hmm. and people don't think films about women are worthy of being told in the way that we used to mm -hmm. in the 1930s for instance when female actors were the big biggest box office draw in Hollywood and and every and as a result of that every kind of female character was being represented by Barbara Stanwyck and Betty Davis and Joan Crawford and on and on and on the most amazing mm -hmm. collection of actresses um, and the roles women were allowed to play would just change with our cultural changes and not necessarily, as we sometimes like to think, get better. They get worse sometimes and more marginal. Mm -hmm. And there's eras that become more conservative and repressive. <clears throat> and even eras that are more conservative or repressive, like the 1950s, we, we point to as an example, yielded some of the most interesting films. And so you can also make films about eras of repression and periods of repression and talk about how people struggle and yes. they have less choices mm -hmm. as individuals in their lives. And those kinds of stories are extremely, if anything, I've made films 
my films about women and about um, gay characters and, and people of color are really about limited choices. They're not heroic stories about people who just like win the day and change the world overnight. They're about people who really have to struggle and learn tremendously from that and, or, or even not learn. Like the learning is, the, is what the audience needs to do. It's not always the character who learns. Yeah. Sometimes you learn what the character can't, because of what the character can't even see or what isn't available to them as a choice. And you go, oh, it's the society that needs to change mm -hmm. to really resolve this story, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, that's been, so this movie is so May, December, so unusual because it's about these very fierce women who are driving the story and driving it by their will and their desires. That's not <laughs> typical of a lot of the movies I've made about female characters. You make great use of image books, which help immensely when collaborating with your DP and others. How does visualization aid you in directing? And we heard today like about some of the films that you also kind of give people almost a reading list or a film screening list to kind of get them in the mood. That's just a necessary part of every um, preparation that I undergo for each film I make. And the image books are and begin as a nonverbal communication with my director of photography mm -hmm. to start to imagine what this film looks like in images. So important. It is. I mean, this is a medium that is about images. Mm -hmm. And if it isn't working as images, it's not a film. Mm -hmm. You know, you can have the best dialogue in the world, but you got to be able to, at a certain point, kind of turn off the dialogue and understand what's going on without hearing people tell you what yes. it's about and let the images convey the, the meaning. This is also the way I just dip back into film history and keep learning myself as a person, as a, as a lover of film and as somebody who, who each, with each project, I feel like I'm learning something I, I hope that I haven't done before or a, where I'm exploring a, a category of film or a collection of film or filmmakers that I haven't paid um, the same kind of attention to in the past and that, but are relevant to this specific um, example, this, this, this new adventure, this new thing. Um, so, uh, but in this case with May, December, we had so little time that I made my image book for my DP, Chris Blavel, for sure. But then I just shared it with everybody <clears throat> and, I, and they usually end up getting shared by everybody. And I realized that actors learn from seeing the image yeah. books. And the, of course the production designers learn from the image books and the costume designers and everybody. But I just felt like the creative language um, that I wanted to explore and the look of the film. And, and, it, and it combined images from movies and photographers and painters with my stills that I took from my location scout in Savannah in August and put it all together kind of in a linear form that follows the progression of the story in um, the movie. And, and then I just, because I, and this was a unique thing, I, I found this score from uh, Michelle Legrand's extraordinary score from The Go-Between, a movie from 1971 that I, that I watched last year, hadn't seen since I was a kid. 
and I told everybody, play this score while you turn the pages of the image book on the computer, you know? And it put everybody in the same strange hybrid place of Savannah and Bergman and this music from uh, this movie from, it doesn't have anything to do with the our story directly. Um, other films like uh, uh, Manhattan, Woody Allen's beautiful film, Manhattan shot by Gordon Willis in black and white. It's about an older man, younger woman. And then of course, the most famous movie about an older woman, younger man, The Graduate. But both Manhattan and The Graduate <clears throat> are comedies, unlike the Bergman films I was looking at. But they share a slight coolness and austerity in how the shots are framed, yeah. the elegance, you know. And the comedy wouldn't work if the camera wasn't doing what it was doing and the shots weren't holding the way they hold. And you watch in Manhattan, you watch Woody Allen and Diane Keaton have a fight in a, in a art conversation in an apartment, but the, the shot is static and they just keep walking in and out of the frame, down the hallway, around the corner. And it does something to the way you watch them, you know, and you're filling in the spaces as a viewer and it's incredibly stimulating and, and more amusing more witty as a result. So all of that stuff became uh, the unique little, you know, collection of uh, traces and elements and references that, that produced our movie. Mm -hmm. Music and the images, yeah. the power of nonverbal communication. Yeah. Now that you've worked with so many of our SCAD talents, we're ready to work with you again. I even have a backlot ready for you. So I hope you'll- <laughs> I've been hearing about this backlot. This sounds really incredible. <laughs> well, congratulations, Todd, on May, December. Thank um, you. We're so delighted to honor you at the SCAD Savannah Film Festival, and we hope to see you again. Soon. I would love it. Thank you so Stay much. In touch with Thank us. you. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Todd Haynes. You can see May December at select theaters or stream it on Netflix starting December 1st. Thank you for tuning in to SCADcast and On Creativity, executive produced and hosted by SCAD president and founder Paula Wallace with original music by SCAD alumnus George Lovett. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe, and we'll see you next time.